want to thank you for this next session. We know that, Lord, you've prepared your servant for a time like this. And, Lord, we pray that you are going to fill him with your anointing afresh and renew him. And, Lord Almighty, through him, bless your people. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Steve, as he told us earlier, has led All Nations Church in Wolverhampton for, you know, a few years now. And when he started, it was a small congregation. But over these, about almost, um, that's two decades at least. 20 years. 20 years, exactly. That church in, you know, um, any standard can actually... Um, I mean, it's, it's a mega church um, in Wolverhampton. So the work they have done for 20 years has really brought in fruits. So consistency and also dedication and being sold out to God. You can hear his passion. You can feel it. And so let's once again invite Reverend Steve Paul to come and bless us again with the word thank of God. You so much, bless, you. Thank bless you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It is, it is a bit surreal, isn't it, with masks and distancing and not the freedom to do what we would normally do. Um, but, yeah, we, we're going with it, and hopefully three weeks or so, we should all be clear. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that. I was looking forward to that for this uh, weekend anyway. But, yeah, Father, as we come around your word, would you speak to us again and uh, help us to be able to uh, stay in step with the Spirit to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So in that first session, just to track for us, talking about the importance of obedience as opposed to just knowledge acquisition that the Lord's really helping us to move towards obedience, I spoke to you a little bit about historical revival to be able to give you a, if you like, a definition of what I mean by revival. Um, and in fact, I didn't say this, but Duncan Campbell would define revival as a people saturated with God. And, and really, it's that saturation of his presence that defines it. So we're moving from knowledge acquisition to obedience. We're seeing something in history of what God has done. We have the biblical promises and expectation for revival. And we didn't touch them, but over the last 80 years there's been many prophecies about revival as well. And so that, all of it, to give us a, a foundation to say there's a paradigm, both in Scripture, in history, in God's dealings with man, that he has moved this way before and he will move this way again. Uh, in, in this session, it's entitled A Cry for Revival. And uh, as soon as I hear that, I, I think about prayer I think about longing, I think about thirsting, and th those things are really critical uh, in any historical revival. It, all, it has always begun with somebody somewhere or a group of people becoming hungry, uh, dissatisfied with where they're currently at, and thirsty and hungry for something more. That, that more often than not, leads them into a place of, uh, of brokenness. It leads them into a place of desperation. That then leads them into the place of prayer. 
It's, it's always God's way. That's why I would say, I don't know of anywhere historically, biblically, that it's gone from a standstill to like a full-fledged revival. It doesn't work like that. Even in Oswald J. Smith's book, and I read that first account of revival, it said and suddenly a revival broke out. Well, if you read about it, uh, a man called Evan Roberts had been praying from 13 years old to 26 years old. And with a real anguish that there has to be something more. Couldn't focus in school, went to Bible college, couldn't focus in college, worked as a miner, couldn't focus in the mines. He was absolutely captivated that something somewhere has to give and society has to change. And his famous prayer was, bend me, O God. In other words, take me, shake me, break me. I want to be used by you. And, and so I'm, I'm giving you like the, the pattern that I see as to how God moves. And uh, it, it, whether it's in the Hebrides or with the Welsh Revival, those people were aware that God had moved in revival power before. And then they were being provoked by the current state of affairs. They were provoked by what was happening in their churches or not happening, provoked what was happening in society. The name of the Lord was not being honored. And that would then lead them into that sense of desperation, hunger, and thirst for the things of God. I am beginning to see the early signs of that just rising in people's hearts and lives. And, and so I am going to speak to you about prayer, but I'm, I, 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 we, we run 24-7 prayer in Wolverhampton. I'm just going to tell you where I'm seeing the early signs of fruit. Um, we've been in that for a number of years now. Um, Pre-lockdown, uh, pre-COVID, it was in a room, and uh, there were two... Jay's with me today. Jay, I should have welcomed you. You're hiding behind the pillar. Uh, Jay has kindly driven for me. I had a full day of meetings yesterday, uh, in our building, uh, we had a conference, and uh, and then drove here straight after that. And uh, yeah, we've got a crazy. I'm back home tonight. I'm back with you tomorrow. It's just a bit really bad diary planning on my part. I blame COVID because uh, some things were in the diary, then other things got adjusted in. And uh, anyway, um, I mentioned Jay because he, he he doesn't work in ministry, even though he is a minister and he's. He's serving Jesus. He works uh, for the government uh, in, in an office. Uh, but pre-COVID, I don't know, was it one or two o'clock on a morning? On a Friday morning, I knew when I went into our prayer hub to pray, uh, I'd get there for about 5 or 5.30. Jay would already have been there for three or four hours praying. And he would do his set and then leave and then go to work. And, and that story could be repeated many, many times. Some people got there at 9 p.m. We had a few ladies uh, on that same session on a Friday. And uh, they would get there about 9 p.m. on the Thursday night. And when I got there at 5 a.m. on the Friday, they were still there. And, uh, I mean, they were praying, ladies. You, I would walk in there half asleep, and it was just electric with the presence of God. And so that, that praying thirst, and another friend of ours that's praying, oh, there's many of them, there's about 200 people involved in that prayer uh, kind of cycle that we're doing, and, and it's growing. Uh, another one of our friends, he runs his own businesses, buys and sells properties and things, 
And he texted me about two weeks ago. Actually, I'd woken up. Uh, Esther and I now have a pattern of praying at 4, 4 a.m. till 6 a.m. each morning. And we got onto the prayer chat, and I had a look, and I thought, oh, Rob, who normally joins, joins us at the same time, he'd already been on since midnight. And I'm like, what is he doing? He's been praying since midnight. He's still on now. And I'm looking at all the prayers he's posting up, the scriptures and the things that God's saying. And I can see this guy's on fire all through the night. And uh, I spoke to him later on in the day in person. And he said to me, yeah, the Lord's been stirring me for a few weeks now to increase my prayer times to do at least four hours or six hours uh, four or five times a week. And he'd been living in the stories of William Seymour and uh, uh, of Evan Roberts and other people like that. Um, uh, John uh, Hind, I think it was, who went to India about 115 years ago praying, uh, praying, praying Hind, they used to call him. He would spend hours and hours in prayer. Uh, the reason I'm telling you that is there are the early signs of people who are very ordinary people working in the HMRC offices or running their own business who are feeling a drawing to praying and adjusting their lifestyles to give themselves to prayer. Uh, for me, that's encouraging. I mean, in the UK, had you ever thought of people praying through the night or people getting up in the early hours to pray? And yet there's a sense of the Holy Spirit is stirring and awakening this. And the cry for revival is really the cry, God, would you do it again? We have heard of your fame. We've heard of your wonders. Would you renew them in our day again? And I'm encouraging you by saying it started. It's happening. And not just in our context. Those are our own stories. And for Esther and I, the, the big kind of thing has been in, in lockdown, this early hours praying together. And now we're adding to it some night hours and some prayer walks in our neighborhood to pray for our neighbors. And we're just feeling the Lord stirring us. If you would seek me, I will come. If you will seek me, I will answer you. If I had a title for this uh, message, Cry for Revival, then I would say it's time for apostolic birthing prayer. We, we need it, I would call it birthing prayer. It, I, I, a whole theme around the apostolic, but I think true apostolic ministry not only brings an apostolic message and an apostolic mandate, not only helps birth apostolic true community, but it also ushers in and helps bring this travailing, prevailing, praying back into communities, into churches. Churches that may have been sleepy and comfortable suddenly get uncomfortable to seek the Lord and to pursue Him. Because how many know it's inconvenient to pray? There's always a reason we can't. Whether I'm tired, whether I've had a busy week, whether there's demands or whether my program's on television, it is never convenient to pray. It's always a choice to be able to come before the Lord. And, and I believe we're in a season where God's doing that. I, I could give you so many little bits. I'm trying to think where to focus my heart here for you. Uh, so the, the premise is this. Before God moves on the earth, it is always preceded by apostolic birthing prayer. Uh, forget the phrase apostolic if you don't understand that right now, but it's, it's preceded by praying people 
uh, long seasons in prayer, travailing prayer, prevailing prayer. It's, it's where we catch the burden of the Lord for the hour. It's where we are disturbed by what disturbs God in a community. It's where we have seen something in His Word of what He has promised. It has so gripped our heart and it, and it captivates us. It often becomes quite emotional in terms of there's, there's passion in there, there's desire in there, there's brokenness over the sins of a community or of, over our own lives. Uh, sometimes there's moments of great joy as we can see what He's going to do. It's really a relational connection with a very living God, and it's birthing something onto the earth. Before there's a deliverance, before there's a transition, before we can move into the next level, before any of that happens, before revival is birthed, prayer proceeds that to happen. Let me give you some examples in Scripture. Genesis 4.26 is an example of Enoch. It says there, um, at the end of Genesis 4, the last verse, you know there's been the fall of man, the murder of a, uh, a brother, uh, men and women are away from the Lord. And then the very last verse of chapter 4 of Genesis, he's got this throwaway, uh, throwaway comment. It says, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. And then it just ends the chapter. And it's like, it doesn't even fit into what's happening. But in the midst of all of this sin, in the midst of all of this rebellion against God, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. And then the very next chapter, Enoch is introduced to us. And if you know his story, we won't go into it. Chapter 5, 22, 23, 24. Uh, Enoch walked with God and then was no more. I, I really can't open this up right now, but he gave birth to the person who lived the longest. Methuselah lived over 900 years, 960-something years. He was born when, when Enoch was 65. And the, the, the thinking is this. Methuselah's name is something... I, I'm, I'm not going to remember it, and I haven't studied it recently. I did do about 10 years ago. But it, it's actually the prediction of judgment coming. And, and it's, it's almost like God gave... Enoch a revelation at 65 years of the birth of his son that when this child dies judgment's going to come on the earth and then in God's mercy that child lives the longest life of anybody who ever lived 960 years but at 65 years old when that baby is born and he has the revelation of judgment will come he begins to seek the Lord and it says about Enoch he walked steadfastly not before he was 65 after he was 65, after the birth of this baby, and the baby's name is about judgment coming when he dies, and now Enoch himself suddenly goes into a place of abiding and remaining and praying and walking steadfastly with God. Phrases like, he walked steadfastly with God. He walked in unbroken fellowship. He, he walked in habitual relationship with the Lord. And if you know Enoch's story, uh, he didn't die, he was taken at the age of 300. And the Lord took him. He was in this unbroken fellowship with God. I don't know how you do that. Old covenant, no covenant, fall of man. Holy Spirit isn't yet dwelling in humans. There's been no reconciliation. But this man walked steadfastly with God. And then God took him. But, and if you know Jude, Enoch is right in Genesis. Jude is the penultimate book in the Bible. And Jude quotes Enoch and says, I see the Lord coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. 
Enoch entered into this great revelation and relationship with God, prophesied a generation coming that would be a revival generation, and Jude records it. And I, I'm, I'm like, and it all starts in Genesis 4:26, and people began to call on the name of the Lord again. And then you have all of this activity and prophecy, and it's quoted again at the end, but it's birthed in prayer. Probably took too long on Enoch. Uh, but it's interesting to me that it's preceded by prayer. Um, you know the story of Moses, and I'll scoot through these much quicker. The Lord said, I've indeed seen my people in Egypt. And in, in Exodus 3, verse 7, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. So they've been in slavery for hundreds of years. They've been abused for a long time. But at this time, as the Lord's about to answer with a deliverer, what has moved God is the crying out of people that says our circumstances are not acceptable. This is not good. We are being treated in a way we shouldn't be. And it's caused a desperation that causes a place of prayer. And then the Lord sends Moses as a deliverer for those people. And, and I could talk about Moses meeting with God in the tent of meeting later, many, many years later. It goes straight to the New Testament and the prophetess Anna. She only takes two verses uh, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 36 and 38. And it just says this about her. There was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Stop there. In those days, she might have got married at 13 or 14 years old, maybe 15 if it was a, a late wedding. They didn't get married like, like we do today. Uh, maybe 13, 14 years old. She was married seven years, and then her husband died. So she's in her early 20s, maybe 20, 21, 22. Her husband dies, and here's what the Bible says. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. So from 20 or 21 till 84, she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And this is the same moment now Jesus' parents had brought him into the temple. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. This would happen on any given day. A couple would walk in with a baby, but she sees this one and realizes this is the redemption of Israel. She has spent more than 60 years of her life praying and fasting, worshiping, never leaving the temple. And then Jesus comes in as a baby. God raises up praying people to help usher in the next season of what's coming. And you have this woman set aside. These two verses aren't just a throwaway comment in the Gospels. They are teaching us that prayer precedes this new epoch of time as Jesus comes, miracles break out, a new covenant is given, there's a whole new kingdom, revelation of Father, but it's preceded by prayer. And in this case, this woman has been praying for 60 years. Isn't that crazy? I don't know if you think it's crazy. She could have remarried. 
She could have done something else. She could have gone into being a bitter person because of the death of her husband. Instead, she gave herself to pray. She partnered with the purposes of God for her generation, and she gave herself to it. Now, God gives grace to people to do that. You don't do it in your human strength. It isn't that she was just slightly more qualified, slightly more prayerful than the rest of us. No, if you say a yes to the Lord, He comes by His Spirit and empowers you to do what you're saying yes to. Because in, in all of our lives, we're all a little bit weak and a little bit frail. I don't know about you, I often say this, I feel like my commitments are so broken. Uh, a, a friend of mine who's a prayer guy, Lou Engel, um, he says, he says, I've had as many um, failures at fasting as I have had successes. In other words, I've told him, I'm going to fast tomorrow. And then he didn't. And he was hungry by 7 a.m. <laughs> Anybody ever done that? And I've, I've heard him tell the stories. He's telling me, he said, you know, we're in a 21-day fast. Day 11, he's just like, I can't do this. Opens the fridge, eats a yogurt, then grabs a bag of crisps, eats that, then grabs... And he's like, what am I doing? He gave in. And he would say, because he's known as the prayer guy, 40-day fasts regularly, calling nations to prayer and fasting. He said, but I've had many failures. And so God isn't looking for perfect people. He's looking for people who would say yes. And even in their brokenness, he will empower them to do what they need to do. So if you're sitting there thinking, I can't pray like that. I couldn't do that. I would say all of us as humans are the same. We're slightly broken, slightly fragile, but inside of these treasures, inside of these jars of clay is a treasure, the treasure of the Holy Spirit. And if we would learn to depend on Him, He becomes the empowerer of everything that He's calling us to do. We don't live life by our own strength, but by the Lord's strength. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, I have a fire and people come on a Sunday and put their stick in my fire. He also said, I would rather, you, you know his story. He had a mega church before there was anything called a mega church. Um, more than 5,000 people at the tabernacle in London. And uh, I, I don't know if you know the story. Some people were visiting and they wanted to know the secret of this church's success. And the church warden said, I'll show you. And took these three or four people into the basement. And in the basement were a few hundred people, some on their knees, some standing, many weeping. And he said, this is our boiler room. The reason that happens up there is because this happens down here. Isn't that crazy? And, and that Spurgeon, who's had a fire that people would come to, said, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. He was known as the Prince of Preachers, very eloquent. And yet he said, the, the prophet isn't in teaching people to preach. I would rather teach one person to pray. If you can learn to pray, it would impact everything you do. Uh, the last year for myself and Esther, as we've increased our prayer life, we have found it has both enriched our marriage, it has given us greater clarity for the steps ahead, and I don't think I'll talk about it this weekend, but we are in the most significant changes of our ministry and of our lives in history. The Lord has told us He's doing a new thing. I'll, t I'll pause here just to tell you this, that He's doing a new thing, and He can't pour new wine into old wineskins. 
and that our current structures and practices and programs are actually hindering his purposes. That was April 2020, he said that to me. And so it has led to us making the most revolutionary dismantling of everything that we're doing and embracing the new that he's moving into. But all of it has come from the place of prayer. Praying, open Bible, revelation, sometimes dreams, sometimes visions. You start praying, supernatural activity will heighten around you. You, you will start to experience uh, things that you never thought were even possible just because you're simply praying. I, I, I could give you stories of that, but um, before the birth of the church, Acts 1.14, Jesus had said, don't go anywhere yet, wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. They went into the upper room, 10 days, and 10 days of waiting, 10 days of praying, and it says in verse 14 of Acts 1, they all joined together constantly in prayer. They all joined together constantly in prayer. We had a leaders' day yesterday. It was the first time in 18 months I gathered people in person. I was disappointed. There should have been about 300 people there. We reduced it right down to about 50 people in the room and then broadcast it. When we, so I'm geared up. We've entitled the day, A New Day, A New Way. People have traveled in pretty much from all over the UK, uh, church leaders. And uh, I get up, I've got a program, and we just, all of a sudden, the presence of the Lord is in the room strong. And it's the first five seconds of standing up. So I've stood up, I'm about to lead into the day, and before I know it, I'm on my knees right next to the pulpit, and people are praying. And I'm just saying to you, we had a program of teaching but actually, most of the day was, was sprinkled with prayer. Uh, prayer corporately, prayer in small groups, um, pausing and praying after we heard a message. Uh, unless we learn the power of prayer, all of our programming, and the church in the West is guilty of the idolatry of leadership. We've idolized leadership and management in churches and strategy and, and we've made, as Leonard Ravenhill will say, prayer has become the Cinderella of the church. And prayer cannot be the Cinderella of the church. As the Lord birthed the church, he had the disciples praying for 10 days constantly. Uh, you know the story of Cornelius. And Cornelius' visitation, Peter's revelation, birthed this movement of the church into the Gentiles. Before this Cornelius and Peter, Acts 10, the, they thought that it, this was just going to be for the Jews. And then this Roman centurion, this, this soldier, it, it says about him, uh, when the angel visited him, said, um, the angel answered, your prayers, your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial before the Lord. Your prayers have come up as a memorial. I don't, again, think that's a throwaway comment. It's the Lord saying, I'm about to open the door to the Gentiles, but I'm doing it in response to a praying Gentile and giving revelation to Peter and helping the apostles understand. I'm just trying to help you to see that anytime God does anything significant, it's in always in answer to prayer. prayer. Ian Bounds says, prayer unites us with the purposes of God and secures those purposes for us. I was going to recommend uh, uh, books. I've done that already. Oswald J. Smith, uh, the, this revival, the revival we need. 
I would also recommend EM Bound and its power through prayer. And uh, it's a phenomenal uh, book. It's over 100 years old. In fact, um, many of the really good books are old. Uh, and so take those old ones. Mine are old, but I'm hoping they'll help you if you did get them. Uh, but honestly, I read more old stuff than I do new stuff. Because there's something in those men and women who have journeyed something with God that gets written on the pages. Uh, our next session is going to be around the re why revival tarries. And that actually is a title of a book uh, by Leonard Ravenhill. And I didn't come up with a title for the session. That was yours. But the book is Leonard Ravenhill's Why Revival Tarries. Read some of those. They'll provoke you into what God wants to do. So there's some biblical precedent. I could say the Azusa Street Revival. William J. Seymour, he was, he was praying, I think, four or five hours every single day. Had been doing it for um, three or four or five years. It was a long time. He was working as a waiter, bivocational, as a pastor. And he was saying to the Lord, there's no revival, there's no outpouring, what do I need to do? And the Lord said to him, you need to increase your prayer life. And it was, it was five hours, and he moved it up to seven hours. And I'm thinking, where do you find seven hours while working and while bivocationally looking after a congregation? Unless you pretty much don't do anything else, but a man captivated by something has to change, God wants to do something, I'm going to give myself to him for this to happen. And we're told that's one of, been one of the most instrumental revivals in history, but birthed by a, he was, he was blind in one eye, he was black, which in his culture was marginalized, they weren't allowed to mix freely with others, he wasn't educated, and yet God used him to birth a move of God. But the preceding time was these years of prayer called others into it with him. The Welsh revival I've mentioned already, Evan Roberts, from 13 to 26 years old, captivated by prayer. Then the revival came. We had a healing wave in the 40s and 50s. If you know any of the recent church history, people like T.L. Osborne, A.A. Allen, Catherine Coleman, there was a whole spate, William Branham, um, there was a whole spate of healing evangelists and outstanding miracles in the 40s and 50s. Sadly, some of those ended in error as well. But it was preceded by a book by a man called Franklin Hall, who wrote a book called Atomic Power with God Through Prayer and Fasting. Now, I heard of that book by uh, T.L. Osborne, who visited us in 2006 in Wolverhampton. He was 84 at the time, and he said to me, I came back from India as a failed missionary with my tail between my legs. We'd lost everything. I thought I could never make it. And then I read Franklin Hall's book, Atomic Power with God Through Prayer and Fasting. And he went into a 40-day fast. And in the last week of the fast, the Lord Jesus walked into his room, laid hands on him, and everything shifted and changed. And if you know anything about T.L. Osborne, mass crusades in India, Africa, in, in, the, in, in the West Indies. I mean, he went everywhere. And outstanding miracles. The dead were raised, blind eyes. Sometimes uh, eyes that had no eyes, sockets that had no eyes in. God recreated them and sockets came in. 
But he said, he said the beginning of it all was reading that book. And many of those evangelists read that book, went into seasons of prayer and fasting, and the Lord visited them. Could he do it again? That's a bit inconvenient, fasting. I really like my food. I like my tea break. I like my biscuits. I don't want to fast. You know, nowadays in the West, it's like, yes, fast social media. That will do. And the Lord's saying, you know, literally fasting means covering the mouth. That's a literal translation of fasting. And the Lord's going to give us a grace to be able to do that. If we start, my time has gone, but if we start praying, it, prayer brings clarity. Prayer brings divine assistance. Prayer will give us an unshakable confidence with God. Prayer pushes back the darkness. Prayer brings a spiritual ease into our work, into our marriages, into our relationships. Prayer strengthens the inner man. Prayer uh, causes God's purposes to manifest on the earth. It's the only way to build in the kingdom of God. And so I'm calling you into a place of prayer today. And, and time has gone, but if I had more time, I would take you to 1 Kings 18, the story of Elijah, Mount Carmel, and as he prayed, and just say to you, from that passage, make a commitment to pray. If you say, well, what do I do now? Make a commitment. And I would say, start small. It's okay. If you've not been praying, uh, start with 15 minutes on a morning. Um, or you do that, and you do, um, maybe 15 minutes is too short. Maybe you go 30 minutes. Uh, I was on a training program recently, and it was loads of people on there of, of our organization were learning disciple-making. And one of the first elements in disciple-making is multiplying extraordinary prayer. And at the end of it, the, the guy on there, he said, now, in the next week, I want every one of you to pray one hour a day. For most of the people on that call, they do that anyway. They do more than that. And then he was saying, secondly, he said, I want you to find a group of people and pray with them once a week. And he said, thirdly, I want you to start prayer walking for an hour a week in the neighborhood where you live. And it was a great start. So I, I don't know what you think you can do, but I would encourage you to make a commitment to prayer. Secondly, when you pray, pray with boldness and use the word in your prayer. Uh, thirdly, pray with tenacity. In other words, perseverance. Don't let go. Learn what it is to catch a, a burden from the Lord, a passion, an energy for a particular moment, and stay there until you feel a release to move on. And then fourthly, pray with faith. Should we just stand where we are? I know we're going to have a time of worship, but we can't talk about prayer and not pray. And so maybe just to raise your hands where you are. And, and I'd love to pray over you today. Um, whatever your history, I don't know you, I don't know, you know your, your kind of uh, history with the Lord, but I know for all of us, the Lord would call us into a greater uh, personal time with Him in the place of prayer. And so Father, we, we've looked at some of what you've done in Scripture that prayer precedes great transitions, great moves of God. Uh, uh, we've looked at uh, just briefly in history how you have done that. And, and this whole conference is prayer quake. Something shifts because of prayer. Uh, I thank you that this is already in the DNA of this congregation. But I pray for all of us today, including myself, that you would give us a grace to pray. We're asking for supernatural help I'm praying that you would give us a burden to pray. I pray that we would embrace the uncomfortableness, the inconvenience of prayer. And I pray that we would, we would learn what it is to seek your face. 
I pray many in this congregation will become strong intercessors. I pray that many would be woken in the early hours or stay up in the late hours or be woken in the midnight hours. Lord, all through history, you've done all of those things when you're about to move, awakening people to the place of prayer. And I pray that this church and those watching online would learn the power of birthing prayer, prevailing prayer, travailing prayer. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Bless you, sir.